The following sermon, entitled Praying for the Blessed Church of Christ, the 36th in the series of the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of December 18, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word one last time to the book of Ephesians. And let's read Ephesians chapter 6. For any who are wondering why there was no Heidelberg Catechism sermon today, my original intent was to preach on Lord's Day 16, and this passage that we have in front of us, I wrote this sermon first, and it was not till later in the week that I thought it would be best to have a special sermon this morning. And so, in God's providence, I had this sermon done already. That's the explanation. We'll return to the Catechism next week, Sunday night. But tonight we read Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read the whole of the chapter and uh, verses 18 through 24 will be the text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, which with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever God, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now verses 18 through 24 are the text for tonight's sermon. I will not reread them. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance 
and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The book of Ephesians has taught us much about the church of Jesus Christ. On the one hand, it has taught us about the blessedness of the church of Jesus Christ. For it began with that opening doxology of praise to God for all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that He lavishes upon the church in Jesus Christ. Church has taught us about our blessedness and reminding us of the greatness of God's power towards us in giving us new life and saving us by grace. We've been reminded of our blessedness and that This book has reminded us of our fundamental unity in Jesus Christ so that we've all been brought together. Having peace with God, we have peace with one another. The the book of Ephesians has reminded us of our blessedness in reminding us that we have had the, the mysteries of the Gospel of Jesus Christ revealed, made known unto us. This book has taught us about our blessedness. The blessedness of the church. But then along with that, this book gave us instruction about how to live in gratitude for all of those blessings. It set before us the the proper walk of life for a Christian. Which included endeavoring to keep that unity that we had in Jesus Christ. It included living out of that new life that's been given to us Walking not as the other Gentiles, but living a life of conversion. Imitating God. Walking as children of light rather than walking in the darkness. And we're to walk as Christians in whatever station and calling we've been given. Whether it's as a wife or a husband. Whether it's as a a child or a parent. A servant or a master. Wherever He's put us, we are to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And in all that, we are to do battle against the devil and those spiritual enemies putting on the whole armor of God. That's what the thankful walk of the Christian looks like. And that very briefly is a survey of what we've learned. But now, in light of all that instruction we've received about the church, it's fitting that the Apostle concludes by calling the Ephesians to pray for the church. Because that's the instruction that we have here. 
Paul himself has already prayed for the Ephesians. Within this book, there were two different prayers in which Paul told the Ephesians his prayer that he made on their behalf. And now at the end of the book, he calls the church to join him in praying for the church. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. As a church, we are to pray. And specifically, we're to pray for the church and for the different members of the church and for the saints the world over. That's the idea of this passage. That's the thread that connects all of these verses together. And it's in light of that that we conclude our series on the book of Ephesians considering verses 18-24 through under the theme praying for the blessed church of Christ. First, we are to pray as Christian soldiers. Second, we'll look at praying for Christ's ambassadors. And then third, praying as the blessed church. The theme, praying for the blessed church. Third point, praying as those who are blessed. So we made clear in the introduction, this Word of God reminds us to pray. But now in considering that calling, we must not fail to see the connection between verse 18 and the calling to pray and what we were just taught in the preceding verses. In the preceding verses, in verses 10-17, through we were reminded that to be a Christian is to be a soldier that is citizens of the kingdom of Christ. We are therefore engaged in battle and have the calling to put on the whole armor of God. And now importantly, when we come to verse 18, we are not coming to an altogether new thought. But instead, verse 18 is really a continuation of that instruction we looked at last time in verses 10-17. through And that's evident from the form of the verb at the very beginning. Verse 18 begins with the word praying with an ing at the end. Indicating this is not a main verb, this is not a new thought, but this is a participle. This is a subordinate thought to the main thought of putting on the whole armor of God. And what that teaches us is that when we come to verse 18 and we're taught to pray, the point is that we are to pray as Christian soldiers. That our prayer life is a part of our spiritual battle against the enemy. This is a part of what it looks like to contend against the enemy. To pray. And this is so important because it's by means of prayer that we ask God for grace, for help in this battle. We are dependent on Him. For it's not the case that once I've put on this whole armor of God, I'm all set. I don't really need Him anymore and I can go out into battle by myself. That's not the point. But I need His grace to put on that armor and to keep on that armor. I need His grace 
to, to wield that armor, to use that, that sword, that shield that He gives to me. And thus I need to keep on praying. As soldiers in His army, we need to be in constant contact with the, our Commander-in-Chief, the Lord of hosts, asking Him for grace, asking Him for help. We are to pray as Christian soldiers. And it's in harmony with that that verse 18 teaches us to pray in the Spirit. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means praying in conscious dependence on the Spirit. Knowing that prayer is both Spirit-given and Spirit-guided. It means seeking the help of the Spirit not only in the act of praying and formulating our prayers, but in the whole of our lives. In addition, praying in the Spirit means praying in harmony with the the will of the Spirit as that will is set forth in the Scriptures which He has inspired. Praying in the Spirit therefore means praying in conformity with the desires of the Spirit as they're made known unto us. Pray in the Spirit, says the Apostle Paul by inspiration. And we can see how important that is as Christian soldiers. Because as Christian soldiers, we are ever dependent on Him. We need His guidance. We need Him to lead us. In addition, we are taught to pray with all watchfulness. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. We are to be watchful in prayer. That is, to keep alert. To be vigilant. And this is so important for those who are Christian soldiers because we have that enemy. The devil, that roaring lion who is on the prowl looking for anyone who lets down their guard for a moment so that he can pounce to be watchful. We're to be vigilant. We're to keep alert in our prayer lives. Ever asking God to care for us and protect us and to guard us and defend us against our spiritual enemies. So we are to pray. That's the clear instruction of this passage. And we are to pray as Christian soldiers. But now all of that is really the the general truth that we see here. And the value of this passage though is that it gives us specifics regarding that prayer and what our prayers are to look like. And it does that especially by the repeated use of the word all. In verse 18, that word all is repeated four times at least in the original Greek. And we want to look at Each of those will begin with the last one and then go back to the first, second, and third. First, let's note that. Verse 18, the four. Verse 18 begins praying always, and the idea is at all times, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Four times we find that word all or always. And each one of them is instructive for us. We begin with the last one that we are to pray 
for all saints. And all saints here is a reference to all those whom God has justified in Jesus Christ and whom He sanctifies by His Spirit. This is a reference therefore to the the church, that elect body of Christ found throughout the whole world. We're to pray for that church. To pray for all saints. That means praying for all within the congregation. So that our prayers are not limited to a certain few, but to all of God's people. So that if So that when this word came to the Ephesians, it was a reminder that the Jewish converts were to be praying for the Gentile converts. And the Gentile converts were to be praying for the the Jewish converts. This was a reminder that the servants were to pray for their masters and masters for their servants. Pray for all of the saints. Everyone in the church and perhaps especially For those you do not get along with all that well. For those who have perhaps rubbed you the wrong way at one point in time. Pray for all saints. But that all saints is not limited to all the members of the congregation, but it it reminds us that the church is broader. That we are to be praying for the, the church universal. The elect body found throughout the the whole world. All of God's people here on this earth pray for all saints so that our prayers should not just be about ourselves. They should not be limited to my own needs and the things that I want from God or believe I stand in need of from God, but I'm going to have the rest of the body in view. And this is so crucially important because It's the whole church that's engaged in this spiritual warfare. In Reformed theology, we speak of the church on this earth as the church militant. There's the church in heaven, the church triumphant. There's the church that has yet to be born, the church latent. But the church on this earth, we call the church militant. Because the church on this earth is engaged in battle and spiritual warfare. And as individual soldiers in the army... We're to have the whole of the army in view. Praying for the church as a whole. So first, we are reminded to pray for all saints. Now we go back to the beginning of the verse. Verse 18, praying always. That is, secondly, at all times. This is the same instruction we're given in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. But now, how can we do that? Does the Spirit expect me to quit my job to become a monk, basically, and just spend all of my waking hours on my hands and knees praying for the church universal? Because if I do not do that, I don't know how I'm can possibly pray always, all times, without ceasing? The answer is obviously no. That's not what the Spirit is calling for. That we quit our jobs and become monks and spend all of our times praying. But 
Instead, part of the idea is that prayer is to be a regular part of our lives. That is, it should not be that there are long periods of time between our prayers. It should not be that there are these intervals in which we fail to pray at all, but our prayers are to be regular. And our prayers will be regular when we are ever living consciously before the face of God so that always at all times, continuously, I have God in view. When we live that way, then our prayers will become regular. To use an illustration, we can think of the relationship between telephone poles and the power lines that run between them. The power lines are continuous. There's no break in them whatsoever. And that's to be the attitude of our heart towards God that always, continuously, we are living before the face of God. That we are conscious of Him even as we go about our activities and our work. But then along with that, there should be regular times in which we fold our hands, bow our heads, and go consciously to God in prayer. And that's like the, the telephone poles that come at regular intervals all along the way. That's the idea of pray at all times. Always. At least that's part of the idea. The other part is that we're to pray in all circumstances. Pray regularly and pray in every circumstance so that it's not the case that the only time I ever cry out asking for help is when I'm in a, a moment of dire need. It should not be that the only time I lift up my voice in thankfulness to God is when it's Thanksgiving Day and everyone is giving thanks. But whether it's a time of prosperity, whether it's a time of adversity, we are to pray in all circumstances. So pray always. Third, we are to pray all kinds of prayers. Verse 18, praying always, that is at all times, with all prayer and supplication. That word prayer is the most general word for prayer. And it refers to prayer most broadly. All the different aspects of prayer. All the different species of prayer. So that included under all prayer are prayers of praise and adoration to our God for His greatness and His glory. It includes prayers of sorrow and repentance in which we seek forgiveness from God for our sins. It includes prayers of Cries for help, asking God for deliverance in the moment of temptation it includes prayers of thanksgiving to God for all that He's given to us. It includes our prayers in which we ask God to provide us with our daily needs. All of those fall under this broad heading of all prayers. And the point is that our prayer life should, should include all of those. That it should not be that I get stuck in this single track and I only ever pray this one type of prayer. A prayer of supplication in a moment of need. But that there's diversity in my prayer life. Not necessarily in 
every single one prayer that I have to go through all of these elements or it's not a, an acceptable prayer. That's not the point. But in our prayer lives as a whole, there should be all these different kinds of prayer. And what is more, he says, all prayer and supplication. The word all governs both of those. The prayer and the supplication. And when that word all is applied to supplication, the idea is that we are to pray for all sorts of needs. That is, specific, concrete needs. So that rather than letting our requests always be general, God bless the church or bless our home, we become more specific and we we bring concrete needs before our God in our supplications. That's the third all. Pray for all saints. Pray at all times. Pray all kinds of prayers. And fourth, pray with all perseverance. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. We are to persist in prayer. We are to continue in prayer. So that it ought not be that, well, I I ask God once or twice, but then when what I ask for does not come right away, I, I give up. I drop the prayer. We're to pray with all perseverance. That is, we are to have the, the mentality of Jacob who wrestled with the Lord and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's praying with all perseverance. And that's so important because there are times where from our perspective, it seems as though God delays His answers. And that comes out from one of the parables that our Lord Jesus taught us. When He taught us that parable of the widow who went to the judge seeking vengeance. And now the judge ignored her at first, but the widow persisted. She came again and again and again until the judge finally gave in. And Jesus told us where to pray in that manner. To persist. To persevere. And the point is not that we are, we're supposed to make God sick and tired of our prayers, try to weary of Him of our prayers. But what it's teaching us is this calling to persevere and that God often waits. He often delays in giving a specific answer to encourage us in our prayer lives. So the Word of God that comes to us tonight is pray at all times. All kinds of prayers with all perseverance for all saints. Is that what your prayer life looks like, child of God? Is that what mine looks like? Likely every one of us says, no, not really. Because the reality is that prayer is a struggle for us. The reality is that we often find it difficult to maintain our prayer lives. And a large part of the struggle is that our prayers can become monotonous and we struggle to pray from the heart. 
But it's in light of that struggle that this instruction is so valuable. Because this is a part of the remedy. So that if I'm struggling in my prayer life, well, it may well be that I'm only ever praying for myself. And I'm not praying for all saints. I'm not remembering the broader body of Christ. Or it may be that I'm only praying a specific kind of prayer that my prayers have become limited to asking God for the forgiveness of sins and nothing more. And I've failed to give thanks. I've failed to praise Him. Or it could be that I'm only ever praying when it's mealtime and I say the same prayer I always pray before a meal. I only ever pray when I'm in the darkest possible hour, but I fail to give thanks to God in the good times. Or it could be that I simply have not persevered. And this important aspect of the Christian life. So insofar as our prayer lives have become a struggle, insofar as we're, this is a difficulty for us, then part of the remedy is to remember these four alls that we've gone through tonight. But the main remedy is to look to Christ. For any time we're struggling in our prayer lives, the answer is to go to Him to have our eyes fixed on our Savior to remember we have a mediator. One who gives us access to God's throne of grace. For of ourselves, we have no right to come before God and to speak to Him. And certainly, we don't have the right to to make known our supplications, our requests. But as the book of Ephesians has taught us, in and through Jesus Christ, we do now have access. This was Ephesians 2, verse 18, for example. For through Him, that is, for through Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. This was Ephesians 3, verse 12. In whom, that is, in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. And we have this access on the basis of Christ's saving work because He's paid the debt that I owe for my sins. And He's given me His own righteousness. His perfect obedience so that I might be justified before my God. I can now stand before Him without being consumed by Him, but I'm in fact encouraged to come to Him. Because I've not only been justified, I've been adopted into His family. I'm one of His children and He's promised to take care of me. And he, he tells us that he, he delights when we go to Him with our prayers. Because we have a mediator. And what is more, this mediator takes our weak, our feeble, our imperfect prayers and He sanctifies them. He takes those prayers that are a struggle and He washes them in His blood. He, he wipes away all the imperfections and He makes our prayers pleasing, acceptable to our God. That's the work of our Mediator. And it's the light of that work that we have confidence to go to our God to, to pray as Christian soldiers. But now the encouragement is more than that we have a mediator who makes it so that we can pray to God. The encouragement includes that our mediator himself is praying on our behalf. That's the testimony of 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, which teaches us that our mediator, as he's ascended into heaven, ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He's praying for us. And now almost certainly this does not mean that every moment that He's in heaven, He has His hands folded, His head bowed, and He's verbalizing prayers on our behalf. But yet He does ever live to make intercession for us. That is, He ever presents His saving work as our advocate on our behalf. For He stands there in heaven as the Lamb that was slain. And He's constantly at work for us His people. So that our needs are ever brought before our God. He's praying for us. And He's praying in harmony with verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. He's the only one who prays perfectly according to this verse. And that He prays always at all times. He doesn't stop His work as intercessor or advocate. He doesn't take a break from it. And He's the one who prays all prayers. Every sort of prayer that is needed on behalf of the church. He knows our needs better than we do. And what is more, he, he prays with all perseverance. He never lets up. He never gets tired of it. He never thinks this saint's not worth praying for anymore. But he continues. He persists. He says, I'm not going to stop until you bless them. And he prays for all saints. For the church universal. And for each individual member of that church. So that you may be sure, child of God, He prays for you. He does. We have an advocate. We have a mediator. And that's good news for us. And it's encouragement for us to likewise pray as Christian soldiers. But now having called the saints at Ephesus to pray for all saints, to pray for the church the world over, Paul does become more specific and he also asks them to pray for him as one of Christ's ambassadors. And that's what we find in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, And for me, that is, pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Having called the church to pray generally, Paul calls the church to pray for Christ's ambassadors. And Paul makes this, re this request for especially two reasons. First, his position. Second, his circumstances. First, Paul asks the, the saints at Ephesus to pray for him in light of his position. 
He was an ambassador for Christ. That's verse 24, which that is the Gospel. I am an ambassador. And then what follows? An ambassador is a person who is sent by one country to be the official representative of that country to a foreign nation to represent the mind, the will, the thinking of the nation that's sending him to that foreign nation. And the Apostle Paul takes that idea of an ambassador and applies it to himself as a minister of the Gospel. He says, I'm an ambassador of the Gospel. That is an official representative sent out by Jesus Christ to represent the mind, the will, the heart of Jesus Christ. And with that came the calling to make known that Gospel. Verse 19, he says at the very end, to make known the mystery of the Gospel. Paul was to be a herald. One who proclaimed the message of the King. He was to announce these glad tidings to all who would hear Him. And he was to beseech His audience on behalf of Christ to believe in Jesus Christ, to look for it, to Him for salvation. That's His position. That's His calling. And what a calling that is. An ambassador of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ called to represent the mind, the heart, the will of Christ. It's no wonder that He says, pray for Me. This is an important calling. This is an important work. Pray on My behalf because of My position. But then second, pray because of the circumstances. Because the circumstances here are that Paul's in prison. He says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. This is the third time he's told the church, I have, I have chains on my hands, on my wrists. I'm a prisoner for the sake of the Gospel. And what he's referring to is his, second, or sorry, his first imprisonment in Rome when he was under house arrest. He's not in a dungeon. He's not locked away in a cell. He does have some liberty, but it's quite limited because he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's still a prisoner. And what the details of that involved, we do not know. But the saints in Ephesus would come to know. Because Paul would also send them Tychicus. To tell them about how he was doing. That's verses 21 and 22. But that ye may also know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. This verse speaks of Tychicus. He is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. We know that he was a man from Asia who was converted on one of Paul's missionary journeys and he eventually became a minister of the Gospel. That's why Paul speaks of him as a faithful minister in the Lord. And evidently, he was with Paul in Rome at this time. And it would be Tychicus who would carry this epistle, this letter to the Ephesians from Rome to Ephesus. 
But understand, he's more than just a, a mailman. He's going to do more than just deliver the letter because Paul says in verse 22, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. On the one hand, Tychicus was going to tell them more about how Paul was doing, about his affairs and how he's doing in light of verse 21. He was going to explain what it was like for Paul and answer any questions the people had. But more than that, he would also comfort them. That's the end of verse 22. And that he might comfort your hearts. He was going to encourage them. He was going to bring the Word of God to bear on Paul's life and their lives as a faithful minister. It's a part of the text. But the main point that we see in this is that Paul is in prison. That's his circumstances. And it's in light of that that we can understand then the urgency of this request. Pray for me because of my position, because of my calling, an ambassador of the Gospel, but pray also because I'm in prison in these difficult circumstances. And he tells them what he would like them to pray too. And what's so noteworthy is that he does not ask them to pray that he would be released. He's not asking them to pray that God would make his life easier, that he'd be set free. That's not his request. But instead, we find his request in verses 19 and 20. And pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is asking the Ephesians to pray for two things on his behalf that he would be given a message and that he would be given boldness. Paul wanted a message. He says in verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given unto me. Literally, that a word may be given unto me. His desire is that he would be given the words to speak. That God would put those words in his mouth anytime he had the opportunity to witness, to evangelize, to preach. He's praying that God would do for him what God did for Jeremiah. As we read in Jeremiah 1, verse 9, Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Pray that God gives me utterance, a word to speak. And Paul prays this, requests this as one who was conscious of his dependence on God. Notice the language that utterance may be given unto me. That as the Apostle Paul, the great theologian and missionary that he was, understood, I don't have this Word in myself. The Word does not have its source in me. But I need God to give me the Word. I'm a, a herald, an ambassador. I need a message from the King. Pray that the King gives me the words to speak. But pray that He gives me not only the message, but also the boldness to speak it. That's the second part of His request. He mentions that twice. 
Verse 9, that I may open my, verse 19, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray that God makes me unafraid of the faces of men. Pray that He makes me unafraid of any consequences that may come upon me for being faithful to this Gospel. Pray that God gives me conviction and courage to proclaim these truths as they ought to be proclaimed. That's His request. Not pray that I be released from prison, but may God grant me a message and the boldness to speak it. Which is to say, his request is really for the good of the church. That's what's going on here. This is not a self-centered, self-seeking request. This is not a request all about Paul and his needs. But really what Paul has in view is the good of the church and thus the glory of Jesus Christ. He's asking that God, that he, Paul would be used as a, by Christ as an instrument in Christ's hand. He wants to be used so that others are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to be used so that others are called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. He's really saying, pray that the church would continue to be gathered, defended, and preserved, and that God would use me as a servant to that end. That God would give me the strength to be faithful for the good of the church and for the glory of Christ's name. That ultimately is His prayer. Or really, His prayer request. Church at Ephesus, Pray for the ambassadors of Christ out of your love for Christ and your love for the church. And hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands be sure you do the same. Pray for those who are ambassadors of the Gospel. That is, pray for ministers. Pray for ministers generally all throughout our denomination. Pray that God provides for us more ministers. Pray for the, the missionaries who are seeking to extend the, to spread the Gospel. And do pray for your own minister. Pray for them in light of the calling God has given to them. The position that they have ambassadors of Christ called to represent the mind, the heart, the will of Jesus Christ. What a calling. Pray for them. Pray for them in light of the difficulties. For though there's no minister in our denomination or even anyone that we have contact with that's been imprisoned of late, nevertheless, ministers do stand on the the front lines, as it were, of the battlefield. The devil wants nothing more than to destroy the ministers of the Gospel, those ambassadors of Jesus Christ. 
And that adds to the urgency of praying for them. And what are we to pray? We'll pray that God gives them the message. The Word. Pray for your pastor as he spends the week in the study that God would guide him by His Spirit to lead your minister into a right understanding of the passage and to enable him to explain it in a way that's clear for the congregation. Pray that God gives to your minister two God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, faith-strengthening, soul-edifying, worship-inspiring sermons every single week. Pray that utterance may be given, but not just the Word, the message, but boldness. Pray that your pastor be unafraid of the faces of men. Unafraid of addressing the sins that need to be addressed from time to time. Unafraid to address the the matters of theology that have been subject of controversy. Unafraid of sticking out his neck and opening himself up to criticism by trying to provide clarity in those areas. Pray that God gives him courage. Conviction. And though not a direct application from this passage, do pray for His holiness, His preservation, that He be kept from lamentable falls that would disqualify Him from the office of minister. If you pray one thing for your pastor, pray that. And pray for your pastor and all of those ambassadors of Christ out of your love for the church as a whole. Because when the minister is given that message from God, when he's given the boldness to proclaim it, that serves the good of the church as a whole. That's what's in view here. The glory of Christ in the salvation of His people and the ingathering of the church. And the minister is just an instrument. He's just a servant to that end. And so out of love for Christ and love for the church, pray for all saints. And with the Apostle Paul, I say, pray for me too. And do so out of thankfulness for the blessings you have received. That is, we are to pray as the blessed church of Jesus Christ, for we are indeed blessed. And that's what we see at the very ending. So we come to the last two verses, 23 and 24. We read, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. We have here the closing benediction, the closing word of blessing. The Apostle Paul began this letter with an opening benediction. That was Ephesians 1, verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have a a similar benediction at the end so that this epistle is bookended by these words of blessing. 
And it's so fitting. It's so appropriate because this book is all about the blessedness of the church and all of the blessings that are given to us that come to us from our triune God. That come to us from God the Father. That's where the Apostle Paul starts because he's the source of all of these blessings. He is the overflowing fountain of all good. The giver of every good and perfect gift. That's the Father. But then he immediately adds, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because not one of those blessings that, store, that finds its source in the Father ever makes its way down to us apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's only in Him and through Him and because of His saving work that there is this stream of blessings that come upon us as a church. And though the Spirit is not explicitly mentioned here, you can be sure this is that He is involved in this work. Because whatever Christ has accomplished, it's the Spirit who applies it. He brings those Blessings to us. He delivers them to our hearts and souls. This is a, these are blessings that come from the triune God. What are they? Well, he mentions peace first of all. It is peace with God for we've been reconciled to our God through Jesus Christ. He's removed the enmity. The wedge that stood between us by the saving work of Jesus Christ, so that we can now have blessed fellowship with this God. And because we have peace with God, we can have peace within our own hearts, minds, and souls. But not only peace, there's love. The love of God towards us. The love that's been demonstrated by the giving of His Son to die on our behalf. The love whereby He draws us to Himself even when we go astray for a time. And the love with which He he blesses us. He opens His hand wide. He, He takes care of us, providing all that we need physically and spiritually. These are blessings. Third, He speaks of faith. And love with faith. Faith that gift given to us. That faculty whereby we are enabled to believe. And He gives us not only the gift opening our blind eyes, but He gives us the will to believe and the act of believing. He, he produces that in me. And He ever strengthens that faith by means of the, the preaching of the Gospel and the sacraments. And finally, there's mention of grace. Grace be with them all. Grace, that is, we are the objects of His undeserved favor. So that rather than God having an attitude of hostility towards us, is an attitude of kindness. And in that undeserved favor, He he gives us life. He gives us strength. These are but just a few of these blessings that are representative of all the blessings that have been covered in this series going through the book of Ephesians. And now it's in light of the blessings that we are to pray, that we, as we are to pray as the blessed church of Christ. So that on the one hand, we are to pray out of thankfulness for those blessings. 
out of gratitude for all that God has given to us. That's what the Catechism teaches us. That prayer is the the chief part of thankfulness. It's that main expression whereby we come to God and say, thanks Lord. Thanks for all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that Thou hast given to me in Christ. It's knowing the riches of His grace towards us that leads us to pray. But now, not only is it praying out of thankfulness for those blessings, it's also praying that God would continue to so bless us for Jesus' sake. Because the Heidelberg Catechism also teaches us that God gives His grace and Spirit to those who ask. And thus, as those who are conscious of our constant need of His grace, we are to continue going to God through our Mediator Jesus Christ, asking Him to bless us for His sake. And so let us as a congregation pray at all times with all prayers and with all perseverance for all saints. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word and for this particular book of the Bible that we have spent 36 sermons going through. We are thankful to have it expounded so that we have an understanding of the truths that are set forth in this book. And we pray that Thou will apply tonight's message as well as the whole of this series to our hearts and lives. Cause it to bear fruit. And continue to feed us and nourish us by means of Thy Word. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.